Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, along with my producer, Lindsay, and we are in beautiful downtown Wenatchee, Washington today. And today, you do not want to miss out on the episode. We have Heather Belke from Red Rocks Physical Therapy all the way down from Colorado. Beautiful, mountainous area, she says. And I'm jealous because um, I, I heard you guys have great, great weather and skiing there. And I'm kind of nervous that I haven't been skiing yet, to, or snowboarding yet this year. And I've got plans the next couple of weeks. And I think in Washington, our skiing, snowboarding kind of stops the next couple of weeks. So I'm hoping to be able to do it, but maybe I'll have to make a trip to Colorado to do it or Utah or something. I, I like I like snowboarding at 14,000 feet anyway. So, uh, or maybe 11,000 feet above hey. the tree line at least. Yeah, added, <laughs> added challenge. So Heather, uh, welcome to our show. You've got some great stories you're going to share with us and, and kind of, you're the first physical therapist we've ever had on the show show and you're going to share some stories that I don't you know I wasn't necessarily aware of and maybe our listeners and viewers aren't about you know physical therapists can help patients with more than just injuries but you know chronic pain type things and um, you're going to share a story of how you helped a woman get off chronic pain medication um, by by doing physical therapy, and um, you know, we're going to talk about some athletic injuries prevention and treatment. And you know, I'm super excited to have you on. So, with that, I'll just uh, let you take over and kind of introduce yourself and tell us why you got into physical therapy and what a physical therapy do- physical therapist does, and what specifically sets you apart at Red Rock. So, Heather, welcome to All our right. show. All right, thanks so much for having me. I'm yes. excited to be here. <laughs> Um, so physical therapy, I actually knew I wanted to be one since I was in high school. I was lucky. I got to go straight through school and not change majors. Um, I was an athlete and hurt myself a lot. You know, when you're a teenager, you don't think about mechanics or cross training or anything. So I hung out with our athletic trainer a lot and thought about becoming an athletic trainer. And he actually was like, you know, you should think about PT school. You have normal hours and it's just, you can still rehab and everything. So luckily I got into it early and kind of just went from there. Um, Started off doing a lot of workman's comp, which was pretty neat. Saw a lot of crazy things that I never expected to see. And then right. you got to gotta elaborate on that. I can't let you get away with that. Uh, not elaborating. Tell me the craziest. Yeah. You said crazy. What's the craziest crazy. thing you've ever seen? Um, we actually had a patient who was, he was a framer and he was, I think on a second story when he fell. And apparently like they don't always use safety harnesses and everything. So he fell like 30 feet. And this man shattered both ankles. Mm. He separated his shoulder. He tore his shoulder. He somehow got away with no spinal injuries. But he just came in. He had five surgeries, I think, when we saw him. And best attitude in the world. He was like, so when do I get to go frame again? And we're like, you're like, you want to climb back up there? Like you have no mobility of your ankles and you just had your shoulder put back together and everything. He's like, yeah, I mean, like you see this pipe over here, I need to be able to walk on it. And we're like, 
all right, there are goals. Like right. we're going to work on that. <laughs> and just people getting, we had another guy get run over by a cement mixer and he, same thing. Like he came out. Okay. Like injuries that you just would not expect people to come back from. Well, and just I go, mean, like, or even live necessarily. I mean, falling 30 feet or getting run over by a cement yeah, mixer. I mean, yeah. That, yeah. That, those are big. That's like, huge. Yeah. And I mean, they had much better outcomes than you would ever expect. So that was kind of cool as a new grad to see people come back from amazing things. You're like, and you're not, and we're not talking like high end athletes that had an incredible level of fitness beforehand. We're talking like middle age, doesn't work out a day in their life other than their job, which is normally pretty manual, but you're like, okay, so it's possible. It's possible for anyone. But it does sound like both of them had good attitudes and that's probably is, is part of the reason that they get better. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it's huge. I mean, that's, we see that with everyone. I mean, if you're motivated, you have a good attitude, you probably will get better and you will progress. And I mean, there are certain injuries that, you know, are, I don't want to say unfixable, but they're a little trickier, but they can still at least get back to living a normal life. And that's, I think the most important part, you know, you want to get back to the things you love, but you also want to be able to walk up the stairs in your house. So that's, that's where we come in. That's where PTs help. And, you know, we obviously are very specific with the way that we treat, you know, if your goal is just to be able to walk down the block, then great, we're going to work on that. And then, you know, if we get there and you want to continue to something higher, we can. Or if your goal is like, I want to get back to playing collegiate sports, then we know your level is going to have to be a little bit higher than walking around the block. And so that's where PT can come in and kind of help you get back to wherever it is you want to be. A lot of times, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) Oh, I say we get people who had never run a mile in their life and they'll have like major knee reconstruction and be like, so am I going to be able to run? I'm like, did you run before? Right. Yeah, let's be realistic. (laughs) Yeah. Like, are you going to run a marathon? Probably not, but you could go run. Yeah. (laughs) So it is, you got to find that realistic goal. Right. Um, So how long, when did you open Red Rocks and, um, you know, what, what do you guys specialize in? Tell us a little bit about your practice. Yeah. So Red Rocks, we opened, it will actually be three years ago in April. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. It's excited. We survived the pandemic. (laughs) Well, surviving, I guess. Right, right. Not not quite out yet, but we opened because we saw a lot of people that kind of get lost in the system, whether it's insurance or they just don't know how to go. You know, if if you don't work in the healthcare field or you don't understand the healthcare field, it's hard to navigate. Oh and boy. Howdy. Yes, it <laughs> yes. is. Oh my gosh. We could talk it, a lot about that alone for sure. Yes. Yes. And so we opened up with the idea of helping those people that don't really know how to navigate it. 
you know, in Colorado, we're a direct access state. And so people can just come in off the street and see us. You don't have to see a doctor. You don't have to go see, you know, get a referral. Um, and so a lot of people, you know, you get in a car accident, you think I have to go to the hospital. I have to do this. I have to do that. And it's not always necessarily true. I mean, yes, if you're injured, you by all means should go to the hospital, but a lot of times they go to the ER and then the ER says, okay, follow up with your doctor. Like there's nothing emergent right now. You're stable. Good luck. And then after that, people are kind of lost. And so we wanted to help those people and the underserved community where most people, I can't afford health insurance, but I'm injured. What do I do? And so we wanted to be able to help them. And so we've starting out, we were kind of open to any and all patients, which we still are. Um, but it kind of got us into the chronic pain realm, which I can't say I was really expecting, but it was, I'm very grateful for it because I've learned so much from it. And so we do see a lot of people with chronic pain that have done PT, they've seen a chiropractor, they've seen pain management, and it's been years and they're still in pain. And so we kind of take that one-on-one -on -one approach and we really work with people to work on like where, what is the root of these issues, you know? And it's nice. Colorado has really amazing laws for PTs. So we can refer out and we have a little more autonomy than some other states. But we can, you know, all right, like, I think we can help you with this part. But, you know, it's still you're still really traumatized by this injury or accident or what have you that landed them in PT. And it's like, maybe you also need to talk to someone like, do you have a counselor or some people talk to their pastors or pre like whatever works for them. And so we can kind of look at the person as a whole. And it's nice when you own your own business, you don't have those corporate, you know, you have to see so many people and you have to bring in so much revenue. We can kind of take that time and really focus on the patient as a whole which I think is really important to overcoming injury or chronic pain or any, any physical ailment, I think it affects more than one thing. Correct. We, it's, it's funny because it just ties into our podcast Monday. We had a guy on that uh, um, he talked about if you don't, you can't fix your body before you fix your mind. You have to fix your mind before you fix the body. And it, it just, yeah. you know, it's all connected. So you're exactly right. So good, good for you guys that, um, you know, you were able to, you know, connect with other, other healthcare providers to, to help people, um, you know, with chronic pain and other issues. So let's back up a little bit before we get too far in. You mentioned yeah. that sometimes insurance, I can't remember the, what, how you worded it, but it can be a barrier or they get lost in the shuffle because of insurance. Is that correct? Yes. Did you mention something about that? Yes. Can you please expand yes. on why that is? I mean, we have health insurance yeah. so we can get health care, but a yes. lot of doctors tell me that um, coverage doesn't equal care. So 
Maybe that's what you're talking about. Yes. So it Please is expand. Un- yeah. So it's an unfortunate thing. And I mean, health insurance is important, especially if you have, you know, medical conditions or injuries, but it can kind of be a barrier in the means of understanding what's actually covered by your insurance and knowing how to access that. So, you know, first of all, you get bombarded with 9 million plans and I work in the healthcare field. I'm a fairly educated person and I don't even understand all of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, they make it hard to understand. I I think it's purposeful, (laughs) Heather. I really do. It is very possible where, and you know, I think it also then kind of gives them loopholes and you have to know the loopholes that work in your favor and the loopholes that work in their favor of what's covered, what's not, what your deductible means. You know, we have every year at the beginning of the year, we always have this patient that we're like, okay, this is how much it's going to cost out of pocket until you hit your deductible. And they're like, why? I'm like, well, right. like your deductible means you're paying everything out of pocket until you hit that number. And then your insurance kicks in and it's very challenging to understand this and then also finding people that are in network and making sure that you know they're still currently in network not just their website says it you have to call and verify and if not you know i always try to advocate for patients that you know call your insurance because what my portal says and what your portal says can be two different things. So I always like to say, call them, ask them how much it's going to cost you out of pocket before you come in. Cause I don't, I hate sending bills to people like especially unexpected ones. Cause I think I'm probably in the majority that hates getting unexpected bills. Right. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> when you've been on both ends, you want to think about, I don't want to send this person a bill for $200 when they were expecting 30. And so, you know, and then being able to get a hold of someone, especially in the era of COVID, everybody's working from home. So, you know, you call your insurance and they're like, wait, times are longer than expected. And I think that's just a default now that. Well, I, I think they're <laughs> just using it as an excuse. I mean, because they, they never give good service anyway before COVID. So there was always long wait time. So anyway, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just it not is. a fan of insurance. I think it makes everything more complicated, more expensive, and it decreases access and care for the patient, honestly. So it does. yeah. So, um, so there's some of the complications with insurance. Well, you've decided that you can simplify that in some ways. And so you actually have some um, sliding scale fees, I don't know if that's the right term, or you have some cash discounts that you can give patients and they can access you directly and pay you cash. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So Colorado, and I believe now all 50 states are direct access for physical therapy, meaning which the only time you need a referral is for insurance purposes. So if you, and I always tell my patients to kind of Ask to find out how much it's going to be because it might be cheaper to pay cash. Because once you send that to the insurance and the insurance says, okay, they owe $150, you're stuck with that amount. Like legally and contractually, I cannot give you a break on that. 
But if you come in and pay out of pocket, then we, I can say, this is the amount that we charge per visit. That is all you're going to pay. It does not go towards your deductible or anything, but that is, it's a fixed rate. No surprises. Um, yes. No, no, no surprises. Bill six months, no bill six months later. <laughs> exactly. Nothing, nothing like that. Like you come in, we give you service, you pay us and you it's pay. done. <laughs> it's like, done. It's done. Nothing what? else is going to sneak up. What a concept. <laughs> I know. it's It makes it easier, but then, you know, you also have to have the money right then and there to pay. Um, and so there's actually a medical, there's actually a lot of clinics, but there's a medical facility down here that they also try to help the underserved. And they work off of a sliding scale based on income. And so, you know, if you make a hundred thousand a year, you're probably going to be paying close to full price. But if you make twenty thousand a year but don't quite qualify for Medicaid, you're only going to pay a percentage. And so we honor that scale. And I see. so, so they oh, go ahead, Heather. Oh, Sorry. it's okay. So if they send us someone and they say this person comes in at this level, we just look at our little chart and say, okay can you afford this? Like that is what like you know, the sliding scale comes in at. Um, we try to work with people on payment plans. We try to work, you know, we try to see everyone we can and that's where can you, some people it, get lost. Yeah. And I mean, you guys make it easier for people for sure. And, and, um, easier access and also less expensive. And I love that, how the free market works. You guys are doing that yeah. um, so people can get care. And we always talk about yeah. how expensive healthcare is, but in mm -hmm. reality, you kind of already given some examples that what makes healthcare expensive is a lot of times the insurance. And um, when they do a direct access and even if they're paying mm -hmm. full price, can you give me an idea of what it would cost to see you for a regular visit? I know that's a very yeah. general question um, yeah. depending on what kind of modalities you guys are using, but what in what um, to help our, our viewers and listeners, what in, in general would it be to see a physical therapist for, for the first appointment? For, yeah. So a lot of places. Um, so for us personally, we're on, I don't want to say the cheaper end, but the more affordable end. So less we, expensive. Yeah. I don't like yeah. cheaper. I know. Yeah. 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 Valuable. Like more valuable. Yeah. <laughs> more valuable. More cost effective. Yep. Um, so we normally charge $60 a visit. And so a lot of places I would say run between 70 and 100 a visit. It but kind of just without but what would what would your insurance charge be if you charge insurance how much would you charge insurance so that depends so normally i have seen patients who have insurance and use their insurance pay anywhere from i mean some people have really good insurance and don't have to pay anything out of pocket um others have seen pay anywhere from 20 to like 150 a visit so if and, you don't mind, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's a yeah. surprise. Whereas if you come in and pay cash, it's 60 bucks. So help Correct. me out, Heather, so we can educate yeah. our listeners and viewers. Because we push yeah. at Health Solutions. One of the things that we talk about at Health Solutions is that many times for routine medical care, it is yeah. better off to pay cash. You are, you are showing a perfect yeah. example of this. So yeah. 
Um, what would your charge be to an insurance company? What do you bill the insurance company for 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 a visit? Yeah. Normal? So normally we would bill an insurance company about in between one hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars. They would reimburse typically between seventy and a hundred. Right. So mm-hmm. if a patient comes into you January one and they have good insurance, which I honestly, I'll honestly tell you this, Heather, I don't believe there's anything, there's such thing as good health insurance. I think health insurance companies are scamming people. I think in general, it's better to pay cash for most things and have some kind of catastrophic coverage. I believe in health sharing ministries. That's a whole show we're going to do in a couple, couple weeks. Um, so you come in January 1st, you don't meet your deductible. You go into physical therapist. Um, you're going to pay $200 out of pocket. Or if you paid cash, you could pay 60, correct? Correct. So you can. And a lot of times, like what we do, and I can't speak for everyone, um, what we do is then we, like for us, even if we bill the insurance 150 and the insurance says, well, with our rate deduction, you know, the patient owes $70. We only charge that 70. We're not going to try and recoup the rest because that's what we expected to get from the insurance, if that right. makes sense. Yeah. You know, you kind of, that's how you factor in if you're going to, you know, meet your bottom line and survive is off of what you expect to be reimbursed, not what you bill. And that's where it is kind of tricky, you know, like, we're not trying to price gouge insurance companies. We're not trying to gouge patients. Like it's literally just what can you do to survive? And, and I will, and I will tell you, and then we'll just move on to some more clinical stuff, but cause we could talk all day about this cause I have passion for it and I, and I applaud you for doing the right thing um, and, and making things cost effective for patients. But I will tell you this, I know hospitals that own physical therapy clinics and big, you know, corporate, physical therapy clinics, big clinics that own physical therapists. And um, if they build an insurance company 300 bucks and the insurance company doesn't pay it, they'll send the person to collection for 300 bucks. I mean, they, they don't discount the bill like you, like you would. So it's a complete racket. It's a complete scam. We're dealing with it right now with our hospital and how they scammed me when my son broke his leg. And, um, you know, I've got a good story out yeah. there on Facebook right now that's going viral because, of course, they sent me a surprise yeah. bill uh, seven months later, $1,132 oh, yeah. from a doctor he never saw, from a lab he never visited. On a day of service, he was never there. $1,132. Oh. Yeah. Of course, they're backpedaling on it because I went out on the social media and called them out. And then a lot of other people are coming forward and talking about how they're getting ripped off too. So well, yeah. I want to expose those yeah. systems because it is not right. fair to patients. And that's part of the goal of our podcast is to educate and empower consumers mm-hmm. to take charge of their health. And that also means financial. And they need to make those yeah. financial decisions themselves. Don't let the insurance company do it for them. Right. Exactly. And that's I always encourage people, even like if we don't cover their insurance, I tell them, you know, talk to your insurance, see how much it'll be out of pocket, talk to that clinic that, you know, does and see what it would cost you. I was like, always ask for cash prices just always. to see. Just like, we do with, just like we do with anything else. When we buy a car, we ask how much it is. When we yeah. go to dinner, we ask how much it is. When we go to a hotel, yeah. how much is it? I mean, it should yeah. be no different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, the little privately owned places have a little more leeway than right. big corporations that have 
more guidelines, but yeah. it is where that can be a huge factor. And if somebody gets care and that's where, you know, some people come in, we see them two visits and they're done. They just needed a little guidance and yeah, you know, right. why live with something for two years when it took two weeks. Right. You know? and, and I will say this, I do think, um, you know, there are some, uh, clinics and it's no different with, with anything in healthcare. I think sometimes insurance, you know, some people will kind of, some healthcare providers will actually take advantage of the insurance they have and maybe do unnecessary visits or unnecessary treatments that aren't necessary, but yeah. they're just, they're covered on insurance. So they keep doing them. And that happens a lot. Yep. And then I think that's why the Insurance prices are so expensive. Exactly. Exactly. It's a vicious cycle. It is. Uh, I'm it's preaching to the choir, aren't I? <laughs> I I'm, I understand what you're saying. It's and it's tricky, and I don't have the answers. Um, not that's I would never be a politician. I don't know how they do it, but I don't have the answers on how to fix our whole system. But I definitely think we could improve it. Well, speaking of answers, I do have some answers, and I'm not a politician because I'm not very diplomatic, but I did write a book about the subject, and it's yeah. called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It, and there is a six-step solution in the book in Chapter 6, and of course, one of the first things I talk about in that chapter in the opening quote was directly from me, and it says, the best health insurance we have is not some policy we can buy. It's how we take care of our bodies, period. That's yes. the best health insurance we have. Yeah. And in that six-step solution, um, one of the first ones is – the first one is being proactive in your health and taking care of yourself. The second yeah. one is searching for cash prices for healthcare. Yep. Just like you would any other commodity. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. you go to Best Buy, you go to the open box area and say, <laughs> right. hey, what kind of discount can you get? Exactly, me? exactly. So, and, I mean <laughs> – Right, and you, and you know – some people will argue that, oh, well, that decreases quality. Absolutely not. When you have a free market in play, you get all of it in healthcare. You get less expensive price, you get better service, and you get better quality. Um, and I will tell you this, with insurance medicine and, and insurance-based medicine, um, expensive, poor service, and poor quality, period. It is what it is. I'm not picking anybody personally. It just is what it right. is because yeah. you're talking about it earlier, networks. The insurance company has a network, preferred provider network, right? That yeah. essentially creates a monopoly. Those people have no reason to get any better because they get patients regardless of how they treat them because they've, they've got a preferred provider network. I mean, I, that's yeah. how I look at it. And actually, we're going to be talking about that on my podcast next week with um, a gal that um, specialize in insurance billing. So, yeah. And so let's oh, go ahead, Heather, and then we're going to move on to your, your story of chronic pain patient. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, uh, one of our first patients that after we opened up, she was, she came in and she looked at me, she's like, you know, this isn't Medicaid service. I was like, what? She's like, you guys don't give Medicaid care. I'm like, I don't understand what this means. And she's like, no, every other place I've been, because I have Medicaid, because it doesn't burst great and whatnot, I just get put in a corner with a heat pad and a TENS unit, and then that's it. I go. And I was like, okay, well, that's never going to happen here. Like, we're we're going to spend one-on-one -on -one time with you. 
no matter what your insurance is, no matter how much we're getting paid, our goal is to fix you and help you get better. And she's like, huh, that's different. Right. Why? And, when, right. and, and think about it. Right. And think about that. When Medicaid's paying the bill, they're going to, you know, they know that it's a less expensive, you know, that it, that they're not getting reimbursed a lot as much. So they're going to give worse service, but they're going to still get paid by Medicaid. So yeah. they don't, they have no incentive and there's going to be a bunch of other Medicaid patients. They have no incentive to get better where if yeah. those people are paying cash for the service and you already explained how affordable it really is, healthcare is not expensive. Yeah. Um, the government and the media wants us to believe it is, but it's not when you search around for cash prices, those patients that are searching you out for cash, you've got to fight for those patients. So you've got to give them good service at a good price. Um, you got to create value for them. So you've got to give them good service or they won't come back and they'll tell all their right. friends and they'll never come back. So that's yeah. why I like the free market. And I just dislike yeah. health insurance so much, especially government insurance, Medicare and Medicaid. They're the worst. And they're the ones that created the problem. That's why I wrote the book. Go get on Amazon, yeah. Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare yeah. and How to Fix It. Download it on Kindle version or in paperback version. Um, and you can learn how to take care of your own health without being directed by an insurance company. Okay. So, Heather, you've yes. got a great story. It was shortly after you first opened up a few years ago. Chronic pain yeah. patient. And I think, you know, this is a true to a lot of people's hearts, especially in um, healthcare, because we hear about the opioid crisis and the opioid epidemic and how many people are addicted to opioids and painkillers. And you had a patient that you took care of and you turned around um, um, basically with physical therapy and got off all of her medications. Can you talk about that story? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we can't take full credit. She did have an awesome doctor that was on board with getting off of medication. Um, but we, like I said, we treat people as a whole person. And so we had quite the heart to heart of like, okay, so you are on pain meds and you still have this much pain. Like what, what is, and I understand, you know, when opiates first came out, they were marketed as long-term pain management and, you know, non-addictive and now... Right. We've kind of done a 180 on that right. and, you know, talking about kind of taking the stigma away from the fact that like, yes, you've been on this medication for years, like there's nothing wrong with you for being on it. You're doing what you thought was best, but, you know, we kind of got her moving. We got her working on things, kind of showed her, you know, you have the power to do these things. Like, yes, it hurts for a little bit and then you get better. And then you can move on to the next step and do even more. And all of a sudden you can do things you never thought you could because you had all this pain. And she, once again, mindset, she had a good mindset and she kind of disappeared on us for a couple of weeks. And then she came back. She was always a very nice woman. But, you know, if you've met somebody who's been on opiates for a long time, they're kind of, in general, most of them are more kind of mellow, not mm -hmm. super excited and moving, kind of foggy. And this woman came in, dressed up all nice, makeup, hair done. And she's like, hey, guys, we're like, who are you? And this is amazing. She's like, I got off all my meds. 
she's like, I realized like I can do, I can still do PT without them. I can still work on, you know, improving strength and improving mobility without them. And she's like, and I didn't realize how much it was affecting my life. Mm-hmm. Like what actually pushed her over the edge was that her boyfriend was like, you know, you're always angry. Like you're not the happy go lucky person that you were before. And so she's like, you're right. I need to make a change. And so really she should get all of the credit because she's the one that decided to get off of it and do everything. And she turned out to be a great patient and, you know, she worked really hard. And when you're in pain for six, seven, 10 years, you become less active. So then when you try to be active again, everything hurts. I mean, even if you take a month off of exercising and you try to get back into it, it's awful the first couple of weeks. And so kind of getting people to recognize that and realize, yes, it hurts a little bit, but is it really more than what your pain is at a baseline anyways? And like differentiating, are you sore because you're exercising or is it pain? And then kind of empowering them to try new things. You know, we always tell people, okay, you're feeling better. Go do something that you really want to do that you've been too scared of pain because then you can come back in and we'll help you get through that. And it worked. And so, I mean, she was, when she left, she was a hat, like she was so happy and she was walking so much better and she was taking her kids to the park and it was really incredible to see that, you know, this person who had young kids and was like, you know, I don't, I don't really get to play with them much. I can't really do much into like, Hey, we go to the park four days a week now. And my kid is so much happier because I play with them to, you know, really just improving their quality of life. And like I said, I don't ever really expect her to go run a marathon, but she can walk to the park now. Right, she's got and, her life back. Yeah, and like that's the important thing for her. So that's for us. That's a win. You know, that's why we do it, and that is obviously the best case we can have is that people get back to doing their normal life things right. and enjoying it instead of oh, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to pay for it later. And so okay. Well, that's an incredible success story. And, you know, there's so many patients on chronic pain medications. And, you know, if they knew that they're, hopefully they know or they've been directed, maybe they don't, that uh, they have access to other modalities to get them off pain medications. I don't necessarily believe in pain medications long-term. I mean, I know that's coming from a pharmacist, but I think if you have some kind of pain long-term, I think that, you know, you you have physical issues that need to be addressed. And as we talked earlier too, probably some uh, mental issues also, but you're being incredible. You're incredibly humble, Heather. Um, and I appreciate your humility, but I think you do need to take some credit for it because you already said it, you helped empower her to get over those hurdles so she could get better. So thank you for doing what you do. I'm sure that must make you feel good in some way, for sure. It, Yeah, it definitely does. And that's, you know, anytime a patient is, you know, it's funny, they always kind of look a little sheepish, sheepish and they're like, 
well, I think I don't need to come anymore. I'm like, don't be afraid to say that. Yeah, like, right. That's our goal. Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Your goal is to get them better, right? Yeah, I'm like, you can always come and say hi, but please don't come back as a patient. Like, we want to see you doing well. Awesome. And I love so, that. I love yeah. That. So let's move on to completely switching gears to um, athletes. So you work with a lot of athletes. Also, you were an athlete yourself. And um, let's just talk about um, what you do with a- athletes after injury and they want to get back in the game. What, 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 is your, what is your goal? Yes. So athletes are kind of a whole different realm. Um, in, so many w- in so many ways. In so many ways. <laughs> yes. In so many ways. Normally, <laughs> when we hit them in that acute phase, you know, it just happened a few days ago or a week ago. Normally, it's kind of reeling them in. And anybody, even recreational athletes, it's hard to tell people you need to slow down for a little bit. <laughs> And so typically it's finding other activities that can keep them busy without worsening their injury. So, you know, you sprain an ankle. I'm like, okay, here, do like go swim, bike, you can't run. You can't run. Yeah. Like, please (laughs) stop going out on those gnarly technical trails running and just destroying your ankle even more. Uh Um, you know, I'm I'm the same way. It's so hard for me to take a break, but you know, I you have to explain to them. You can take two weeks now, or you can keep pushing it. And six months down the road, you're still not going to be back to normal. Sometimes that works, um, but you know, getting them to slow down and then gradually reintroducing things to kind of challenge that injured area. Because it's funny, you start off and you're all gung ho, and you're like, "It's fine. I'm going to keep going how I'm going." And then you get to the point that you realize, okay, I'm really injured. I really need to like take care of this. And then it's almost getting to the point of getting people to trust that injured area again, mm-hmm. especially after surgery. I mean, you tear your ACL. What is your biggest fear? Running and stopping real fast or changing directions mm-hmm. and kind of breaking it down so that you can say, okay, so you know, right now we're just going to work on balance. Okay. You can stand on that leg. So now let's hop, let's challenge that balance. Let's stand on an uneven surface. And then you can kind of say, okay, now run and stop. And you know, you normally get kind of a funny look and they run real slow and slow down and then stop. And you're like, no, do it it like you would in a game or in a sport or change directions. Like there's something on the trail you have to avoid. Like, you know, kind of, it's funny because you go from one end of the spectrum to the other with athletes. You go from like, you need to slow down. I'm not saying don't do anything, but stop doing what you're doing. It's making it worse. You're right. <laughs> to like, okay, now, now you're ready to try things again. And it's finding that happy median of, you know, athletes want to get back as soon as they can. And patience runs thin. And I get it. I mean, nobody wants to be hurt and not doing what they love. So kind of finding ways where you can keep your fitness, but also heal. And that's. I mean, and and just increasing stability and mobility and just progressing is what you're really talking about, correct? Yes. Yes. And those are things that a lot of people often 
neglect, you know, even higher end athletes to recreational athletes, like everybody hates doing core. Like that is, you know, you go to a gym and you look around that core section is normally empty. You'll get a person or two in there. Well, like the heavyweight racks are just jam packed. People are waiting to use them. And so just being like, okay, you know, just because like, let's also go back to why you got injured. You know, was it a weakness? Was it a tightness? Like, let's fix that. So then you can go back better than when you came in. And it's core stability. I mean, I, you're a physical therapist, so you can comment on this, but I don't think there's any sport or exercise you can really do without really wanting to engage your core. Is there? I mean, your core has to be engaged. I mean, I'm a, I'm a um, competitive mountain bike rider and obviously that is very important. And if you're not engaging your core, you are going to get hurt. You're probably going to fall off your bike or you're going to get back injuries, things like that. Um, Core is so important and, you know, with running and everything. I mean, it's so important. You're right. It's neglected. Although it is pretty easy to work. You just have to put in the time. Yeah, it is. And it's the boring things. I, so to say, you know, it so is. we, we, we try to make them like more challenging and, you know, you get these like weightlifters who are like, I can deadlift 400 pounds. I'm like, cool. Here's a bar with 20 pounds. And they look at you like you're crazy. And you're like, but you're going to focus on these little things. And all of a sudden they're like, that's harder than I expected it to. I'm like, yeah. I have a, right. I have a mountain bike uh, racing coach and, um, I do mostly, I used to be a power lifter and, you know, when he started training me, he was talking about he wanted to increase my mobility and stability because I had quite a bit of strength. And one of the things yeah. that he would focus on was just mostly body weight stuff with some light weight. I'm talking the heaviest would be a, like a 30 pound kettlebell. Kettlebell that would be a, a, yeah. a heavy weight for me. Yeah. And it was all about slow and controlled. Yeah. And you know that's really so important. I don't think a lot of people realize that. I mean, focus on the yeah. form, slow and yeah. controlled. Yep. And finding those muscles, like if you think about like your deep abdominal muscles, most people don't even know you have them right. until you get injured or you have a coach or you go see a PT and all of a sudden they're like, contract this muscle. And you're like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm like, that's the most important muscle in your body. Like that yeah. saves your back from everything. And they're like, and when where? you get good, and when you get good at it, you can just focus on your core all the time and you can actually engage your core while you're driving your car and just do core exercises while you're driving or while you're eating. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the funny thing. I'm like, you bend down to pick up a sock, you engage your core. And Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, you'd be surprised how many people a disc just goes because they bent down to pick something up wrong. Like it's, if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen. But if you can, you know, take every avenue. Yeah. yeah right. like with, if you with lifting, it, right. Yep. Yeah. So tell us, you had, a, speaking of athlete injuries and getting her back in the game, you have a story of a soccer player that tore up her ankle in high school. Tell us about that story. Yeah. So senior year, of course, the year you really don't want to miss, you know, it's your most exciting one. She was playing in the spring and your typical just planted funny and ankle went, just went. And lots of pops. She ended up getting an MRI. She had, I believe, three complete tears. 
Yeah. And they said, but the surgeon was like, you know, you're young, you're healthy, you're active. I don't really want to do surgery on it because most of the time, a lot of ankle surgeries are cleanup surgeries. It's not as often that they repair the ligaments in your ankles. You have a ton of them. So I could kind of see something else will probably take over and help. But back to that mobility and stability, you now are going to rely on your muscles more than your ligaments. And so they were like, you're probably not going to play soccer. Like definitely not in the fall, maybe in the spring, you know, we'll see. And so we got her in and she is, once again, she had a really good attitude and was like really bummed about not being able to play. And she flat out told us, she's like, you know, my fall season is not as important to me as my spring season. So I just, you know, I really want to get better by then. We're like, okay, but our goal is going to be the fall. Like we have a few months to get you moving in the right direction. And, you know, once we got the swelling under control and kind of showed her she can move around, like we took her on, I took her on a run. I was like, okay, soccer, you have to be able to run. Like, yeah. So For a long time. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I was like, all right. Like, so we would go run a mile and come back and then she'd work out. And she. How many I physical think, therapists run with their patients? That's pretty cool. Right? Run a mile. You just do that just for the heck of it. I'm going to go run a mile. Right. Like, all right, let's just, let's do it. Luckily I like running. So it works out, <laughs> but she, she did great. And she was really motivated. She worked hard when she wasn't with us. And it was like two months later, we're doing soccer drills and, you know, we're in the clinic in a controlled environment, a nice smooth surface, but she was able to do it. And so we're like, all right, this weekend, like go run on the soccer field. And, you know, you get that look like, I was told it's going to be a long time. I'm like, you're 17. Like, you heal so fast. Right, right. <laughs> like, you're 17 and athletic. You're you're ahead of the game in so many ways that you don't even understand. And so, and she did. And she ended up playing soccer in the fall. And it was just a matter of same thing, kind of educating her. Like, it's okay to try things. Like, don't go do something crazy a week after you're injured, but it's okay to build up to things and then go try, like go kick a soccer ball. How does it feel? Like, did it hurt? Yeah. Okay. We got to work on it then. Like, and so it was super exciting. She was so happy to actually go back and get to play in both of That's her really seasons. Cool. Yeah. Cause great story. Wants, yeah. Nobody wants to miss their senior year. No. So let's talk about, she played soccer in the spring and the fall. So I remember back when I was in school, um, many years ago, there was like three seasons of sports or four seasons actually. And, yeah. you know, now it seems like we have people that are playing baseball year round or playing soccer year round and they're one sport athletes. Um, and it does seem like I know for a fact I was at a conference where, I had, I heard an orthopedic surgeon talk about how many ACL injuries he's seen in high school um, girls, and it's mostly the ones that play soccer year round. So, can you comment on injuries of one sport athletes and the importance of cross training? 
Yeah, so I was the same way. A lot of people just one sport, you pick it and you get good at it. They're actually showing now high school kids that are multi-sport athletes are actually more successful in college, even if they transition to a one-sport athlete in college. And I think it has, I mean, if we go way back to when you're a kid, I think just developing all those different motor skills from different sports makes you a more well-rounded person. You find more muscles, you learn how to control them. It changes hand-eye coordination, foot-eye coordination, you know, the different sports make a huge difference. And then, you know, as you get older, you tend to kind of start specializing in those things that you're good at. But when you just do the same thing over and over again, certain muscles are going to get really strong and certain muscles are going to get really weak. You're going to get tight in certain places and it's just going to create all these imbalances where if you try different things, which I'm really excited to see now cross training is becoming more mainstream and more like encouraged where, you know, you look at elite runners where before it was, you need to have 0% fat. You need to run 150 miles a week. You need to do this. And now they're like, actually, if you go strength train a couple yep. days a week and hop on a bike a day a week, you're going to become a better runner, even though it's not sports specific training. And I think that's where a lot of athletes do get injured is when you focus on that one thing, you kind of neglect the rest of your body. You know, soccer players, once again, they have phenomenal legs. Their legs are extremely strong, but how is their core? How is their upper body to help them stabilize? You know, if you can use your core to slow down your momentum instead of just totally relying on your legs and sliding, you might prevent an injury. And so I believe that, you know, cross training or multi sports is huge. Like it's important to stay healthy and prevent injuries as well as progressing in your, I guess, preferred sport. You could say, you know, like you're a mountain biker. That is amazing. That is a crazy hard workout. <laughs> it is. It can't but, be for sure. Yeah. But, and that's the know. one I, I think they're showing, you know, with, you know, cross country mountain bikers, which is what I specialize in, although I do do downhill also, but you know, the cross country is pretty close to the, the body types of a road cyclist where they have or used to still do, you know, small upper yeah. bodies and big lower bodies. And that's what they would focus on is cycling, cycling, cycling. The problem yeah. is, is that, you know, there's 25 year old men that are cyclists that are, that have osteoporosis. I mean, you, you know this and yeah. uh, just crazy. I mean, to try to get that yeah. back and change that is tough. I mean, there's Olympic right. athletes that have osteoporosis that are 25 years old. They're cyclists. That's why strength yeah. training is so important. And, yes. um, you know, and it's still when you build lean body mass, even if it is extra weight, I get it. You know, um, you know, weight is extra resistance on a bike or as you're a runner. But if you make your overall body stronger, you will be a better athlete long term. Is that kind of what I'm hearing from you? Yes, exactly. Because if you think about it, you know, like you're 25 years old, you should not have osteoporosis. No. And that's that's extremely hard to come back from, you know, 
And that's, unfortunately, by the time you're 25, most of your bones have formed and like, right. I hate to say it, but like bone density wise, it's downhill from there. It's scary. Yeah. And so by strengthening, doing those weight bearing activities, you know, like you said, lean muscle, you don't have to be Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to jump on a mountain bike, but having that strength. And then think about when you're powering up the hill, if you have, if you built up the right muscles, you can, you don't rely on your quads the whole time. You can actually kick in your hamstrings or your glutes or other muscles. So then you don't hit that fatigue as quickly. Like the more muscles you use, the less one is going to fatigue. And so relying solely on one muscle group for something is just a recipe for disaster. It is. It is. is. Thanks. Thanks for, thanks for that education. So here's the argument in sports. And I, as a, as a mountain biker, I hear it as a, you hear it in other sports too, stretching. Tell us your yes. opinions about stretching before, after, dynamic, static. Tell us about yes. what you know about stretching and if All it prevents it. injuries and should we do it? Yes. And that is the great question where, you know, one day it's, oh, you have to stretch all the time. The next day they're like, eh, it does nothing. Um, I personally think every person is different. And so you really have to find what works for you. I am a firm believer in dynamic warmups because then you get your blood flowing, you get the joints moving, and it also stretches in turn, Mm -hmm. you know, where that is going to help get you moving. You can also, so as a runner, I like to do a dynamic warm up before running. And then I also, it's a good way to check like, okay, like I'm stretching my hip flexor feels a little funny. I need to be mindful of that when I'm running. Is this going to be something or is it just I was sitting at work all day and it's tight? You know, so it kind of gives you a little check. You can kind of mental checkbox mm-hmm. things where it helps. And then it also gets your blood circulating. You know, if you hop on a bike and try to climb a hill and your muscles are just starting out, it's going to be a struggle. You're not going to feel fabulous. But if you have your muscles already warmed up and going and you jump on the bike or running or what have you and go up a hill, you're not going to struggle as bad. So then, you also don't, I don't want to say waste, but you don't spend the first portion of your workout trying to get moving. I mean, anybody who has tried to run or bike or exercise on like a cold winter morning, Mm -hmm. it takes forever to get going. So dynamic warm up, get your blood circulating, get your heart rate up a little bit and then go. And then afterwards, I do believe in cool downs. I think it kind of helps keep the muscles moving so that you don't just stiffen up. And then the next day you can't walk. That's everybody's done that at one point in their life, if not many times where you work out really hard. And then the next day you're like, great, I'm going to just stay here all day. And so I do think cooling down, whether it be, you know, just kind of slow pedaling or walking even like after lifting, I think it's important to either kind of bike for a few minutes, do something gentle just to let things calm down. And then I tend to, I'll, I bounce back and forth where 
like I said, it depends on the person. Some people, they get a good yoga flow that stretches all of the things that they need to get stretched afterwards. And then that's more of a dynamic. And because you're going to activate muscles to hold the pose. Some people love to just sit and, you know, bend and touch their toes or do whatever. And if that works for you, I'm not going to say don't do it because I do think mobility is important. And that's where I tend to lean more towards dynamic stretches because for mobility, you need the flexibility, but you also need the strength. You know, if you're trying to move your arm, I have to have the muscles to pull it back, but Mm -hmm. also the flexibility to stretch it. So if all you do is like passively stretch it, you don't get that strength. And so I think it's finding balance. And that's, I know, not a very straightforward answer, but no, that's everybody's good. really different. You yeah, know? no, that's good. And yeah. that's, I, I guess I'll stop complaining at my coach for making me do 20-minute warm-ups and 20-minute cool-downs. I guess it's probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah, but it's not. A, it, it'll help tomorrow's workout. <laughs> right, <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> that's Yeah, like you can go trash yourself today and then get up and work out tomorrow, or you can be so sore that you're just not going to have a good workout. And it's going to be, you know, yeah, I wasn't hitting my times or my legs were just dead and I couldn't, couldn't make it up the hill or, you know, everybody has those times anyways, but yep, warming up and cooling down is important. (laughs) So we're winding up our podcast here, Heather, and um, I just want to—I want to ask you: What do you have a passion for? What what drives you? Yeah. So I mean, like career-wise, obviously helping as many people as we can. You know, I—I'm an ultra runner, so I really enjoy getting out and doing things. And (laughs) yes, I know my dad has threatened to like commit me a few times already. Um, But I like getting out and I think getting outside what I don't care if you walk down to the end of your driveway and back getting outside getting that fresh air, I think is important for everyone. And if you can get out and hike or go for a longer walk or what have you, I think it's important. I think it's good for your brain. It's good for your body and the change of scenery especially now so many people are stuck at home that you know outside activity is one of your safer activities right now and so I think it's important for people to get out just for their sanity and so we always try and encourage our our patients our friends our family anyone to just get out and do something I you know maybe you just walk from your car to the park and have a picnic that's yeah. great. You're Move. outside. Movement. Yes. Yep. Just movement, you know, instead of driving to this, you know, to the store that's two blocks away, walk, you right. know, just, and that's, I think one of our, like, I guess my personal life and my professional life kind of cross there where I just, I like to see people out and about, you know, Colorado is crazy active and you will be out and like you said, snowboarding, there's going to be like a four or five year old just crushing, yeah, going down the mountain and you're like, oh, what is this? <laughs> like, no matter how good you are out here, there is like some small child that is just phenomenal. 
And I think it's amazing because those kids are going to have a love for being outside and being active their whole life. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. You want to talk about a humbling experience is when you go to a mountain bike park, I'm I'll specifically uh, reference Whistler, you know, the, the biggest, best mountain bike park in the world probably. And yeah. you and a five-year-old kid just races down the mountain, just crushing it, jumping, flying. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Just imagine when he's 17, what he's going to be doing. Exactly. <laughs> you're just like, man, I, you know, those like little balance bikes that don't even have pedals or brakes or anything. <laughs> yeah. I was out running a couple weeks ago and there's this little kid just cruising down the trail in one. I'm like, <laughs> you don't even have brakes. Right. Bye. No consequences. <laughs> That's amazing. So I, yeah, I think, you know, getting people out, it's important. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Heather. Um, you've been um, inspirational and educational today. I really appreciate it. And um, you're definitely an asset to, to this podcast for our listeners and viewers. And I think they've learned a lot from you. So thank you for being on. And Thank you for having me. Yeah. If anybody wants to get a hold of you or has questions for you, yeah. what's the best way to do that? Yes. So you can call, which you have pulled up there. You can give us a call. Um, we are currently still offering telehealth um, with the pandemic. So you can always call, you can email, you can reach out to us on social media. We do have a Facebook and Instagram. I would say those are like the two less likely to get a very fast response from, but we do check them and we will respond. So yeah. Awesome. awesome. I appreciate and, it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so you have been listening to our podcast, our midweek podcast on a Wednesday because my wife and I are headed down to Houston tomorrow to go for a 71 mile bike ride Saturday. We're super excited about that. And um, that's why we had it early this week. It's usually every Thursday, 8, 8 to 9 a.m. Um, tune in Mondays also. Uh, we're changing it to times in March at least to 12.30 to 1.30. So my wife can be part of it again. And we are starting a four-part series on plastic surgery in in March. So our first one Monday will be with Dr. Cavalli and she's going to be talking about breast augmentation, which is one of the three most popular plastic surgeries. We will also be talking about liposuction on one of the um, uh, podcasts and also be talking about tummy tucks. And another one we'll be talking about um, breast reconstruction. So you don't want to miss those. Our plastic surgery month, four part series. You don't want to miss it. Tune in Monday, 1230 to 1:30. As always, thank you for listening. You can catch us on on uh, the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site. Subscribe to our YouTube site so you do not miss any future podcasts. And comment, please, and let us know what other episodes, what other topics you would like to hear. Um, Heather was our first physical therapist on today, and I would like to have her on again because I have a bunch of questions for her, and I bet you, you the, our listeners and viewers do also. So, Heather, thank you for being on today and educating and empowering our, our listeners and viewers. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for the work you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, you're welcome. And there's another episode. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you for tuning in.